you have entered into the morning black. I'm your host, Greg Jones. We are at WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. Yes, this is Morning Black. You're listening to WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. We are uh, broadcasting on site at Valparaiso University at the uh, eminent Professor Dr. Byron Martin's GS200 course. We want to introduce these students first. So I'm going to ask the students at the table to enunciate your name and let let the listening audience know who you are. Yeah, so I'm Jeremy. I'm a junior. I'm Marlon. I'm I'm Marlon Taylor. I'm a senior at Valpo. I'm Tyler Howard. I'm a freshman at Valparaiso. And who do we have Zooming? I am Muntaha Zahid. I am senior at Valparaiso University. All right. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome all of you all. And uh, I, I understand that the, the topic this morning is going to be housing and race. Right? Am I am I clear on that, Dr. Martin? Well, yeah, that's it. That's it? That's the topic. Can everybody hear me? Yes, we can. All right. All right. So uh, let's begin this conversation. I want to begin this conversation by uh, just sharing a little information, asking a question. Um, the Ute Indians are just dealing with a situation where uh, the Bear Ease Monument uh, land, which was about 2 million acres of land, was taken back from them by the Trump administration. They're trying to straighten that out with the Biden administration. And I want to have a brief conversation about land so you know when we start talking about land um how do we understand land and the acquisition of land in american culture american society don't everybody speak at the same time <laughs> byron this is a question to you too yeah no definitely how do we understand land i think one of the things that we have to do as we think about land, we understand that land uh, not only equals the place where you live, it also uh, equals access to health and to food and to all the things that are needed to live. So without land or with uh, substantial amounts of land being taken, you're robbed of an opportunity of a healthy life often. Okay, let me hear from the... Uh... The student body. What do you, when you think about land, how do you think about land? Yeah, when I think about land, I would say exactly what um, was said before, uh, food. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say what was exactly said before. Say well, what you're going to say. I would say that when I think of land, I think of my home, and I think of my family, and I think of what's around me to help me benefit and to move forward in life and to you know, get on the right foot to continue forward in your own self. And to add on to that, too, I think uh, land represents ownership, too, especially uh, in America, because uh, the foundation of America kind of comes from Europe. And, you know, Europe, land was everything, uh, you know, before in the Renaissance and the medieval times. And I think that kind of carried over into the U.S. And, uh, you know, even nowadays, uh, land and, you know, ownership is kind of the, uh, the way people try to go about building wealth. All right. Let me hear from everybody else. When I think of land, I think back like to years and years ago, like when 
um, Christopher Columbus came over and basically stole the land from the Indians, and then like land was sold, and every person how like some of this land was stolen from who it once belonged to, and then they made people slaves. That's what I've been doing. I can return to the land. Okay, now now what's your name? Tyler. Tyler, you're gonna have to speak up like somebody didn't grab something from you. Because okay. I can't hear you. Okay, I'll see. All right. So you need to you need to say like, hey. Okay. All right. Come on. So uh, when I think of the term land, I think of back when Christopher Columbus came and he took the land from Indians. And then I also think about how he made like they made people slaves and how land was distributed off to people and how the slaves Okay. All right. Well, I mean, you know, those, those are different perspectives. All of them are, 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 are potentially correct. But one of the things that I didn't hear people say a lot about is the spiritual nature, the sacred nature of land. You know, uh, many cultures see land as being a, a part of themselves in terms of who they are spiritually. Right. So land is not something that you can can buy or sell or acquisition It's something that's a part of you like the air you breathe or the water that you drink. It's, it, it, is, it is what gives and sustains life. So the issue that it seems to me in terms of, at least in the, in the Utah Bear Ears Monument question, which is a, a contemporary, I might wanna look up that up in terms of land, is that the, this group of tribal community is arguing that this two million and some odd acres of land that was um, given to them inside of treaty and then taken back from them by the Trump administration had to do with them getting their souls back, getting their spirit back. You, you following what I'm talking about? Yeah. That makes now, 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 I can understand you all saying that I can interpret that in terms of my home or, or what I need to eat or what I need to, you know, grow food on, that kind of stuff. But understand how the Native American community is looking at how land is acquisitioned. In other words, that's an oxymoron for a Native American, an indigenous American, a first people's community to, to, well, to acquisition a part of somebody's spirit. So that's where I think we need to at least begin to kind of think about. What do you think about that, Byron? I think that's a powerful nuance. The, the, the spirit of the land then informs identity. It informs how people see themselves in a space and who they see themselves as being. And I think that's directly connected to uh, most conversations about land, about housing. Um, location determines identity and how we encounter and embody our identity and how we embody who we are. Uh, you know, we claim ourselves typically based on where we locate ourselves, right? It informs how we see ourselves and what pride we see in ourselves. You know, when people are saying, you know, what, where do you claim, you know, what, what set you claim, who you claim it, right? You say where you're from, right? And what produced you. And so I think it is a deeply spiritual conversation. It's an intimately identity defining conversation. And I think that's what puts a lot of these things in flux in a conversation on race and housing and on race and land is because 
um, there is a uh, disconnect from the land and now uh, a fight not only for land but for identity. See, so, so, so I, I just want you all, I want our listening audience to get it clear. When, when we talk about the Palestinians and, and, and we talk about the struggle the Palestinians are having with Israel, they're not talking about they can't have a house where they want to. That's not what they're talking about. So don't get it. Let me use a colloquial. Don't get it twisted. The Palestinians are not talking about, hey, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't build my house where I want it to be and I can't put, put in my house. That's not, what that's not what the Palestinians are saying when they talk about land and when they talk about their home, it's something much deeper. You got it? Yeah, that's right. I think for me, um, land is more like a social, um, like it shows your social status. Like uh, a lot of people would say, oh, you're from that area. Wow, that area is great. That has like, it also shows your access to resources, but then it is also, I think you're right to have a land. But yes, for Palestinian people, they're, I think they're, it's hard for them to say it's because it is a part of their identity where their forefathers, their um, whole family have been there. And if they're not being able to live there, for them, it means a lot. So for them, it might not be just social construct or something like that. It may be something way bigger than that. So, Byron, this is a question for you. Are we talking about uh, understanding? how a thief relegates what he has stolen and she has stolen? That would be a reframing of the question. I'm just asking the question. I'm just trying to figure it out, you know, because I ain't, I ain't been in the class. I, you know, I haven't been with y'all all semester long, but I'm trying to figure out, are we talking about somebody who has taken something that, that then has set a legislative model inside of what they have taken to negotiate how people acquisition what they've stolen? Yes. Wow. That's kind of deep. Well, I think that's the underpinnings of the system that has been placed in the American context, which is what we've been talking about all semester long, is a conversation about how race and this conversation on white supremacy and hegemony is in everything, right? Okay. We're talking about how it appears in everything. And it also appears in our frame. We talked a lot about education and how education shows up for us uh, in the same way. How can you have a healthy education if it's built off of uh, these uh, constructs that aren't true and pure through and through? And so, I think it's the same thing when we start talking about land and we start talking about housing. Um, but we're also talking about, we're talking about the overarching system, but we're also talking about the, the, the here and now. Like, what does that mean today? Right, right. Okay, so let me, let me hear from the students. I mean, you know, how do y'all feel about that? Because you are the ones that are now being socialized into this system. I think that's interesting, too, because, you know, when you brought up land, my mind immediately went to ownership, which is kind of a capitalistic um, mentality I have growing up in America, I, I kind of, I have like a Western mind, I guess you can say. I understand. Versus what you brought up about, you know, um, spirituality and, and being connected to the lands like many Native American cultures are. 
uh, I understand that perspective too, but it is interesting you brought that up because my mind didn't necessarily jump to that version. Um, and I do think that's a big part of where the disconnect is. And I do think there's parallels to that with uh, you know, the things you brought up about my set and things like that. Um, people claiming my set and, you know, people having a sense of belonging to where they are. Um, I think there's a lot of parallels to that. And uh, it's just in a different situation where, you know, a lot of black communities are urban and uh, areas that aren't necessarily um, close to nature, kind of how uh, one of the um, articles I found was about uh, a lot of black communities not being near nature and uh, or having good environmental standards well um, i mean well let, let me just give you give you some information on that i mean because we we, we want to learn right mm -hmm. yeah so let's learn in 1910 black farmers about 200,000 of them on 20 million acres of land mostly in the south we we held 20 million acres independently so so the idea that black folks didn't know anything about the land is really not true. Yeah. You you feel me on that? Yeah. That that that, that, that was, is what I would call a community perspective. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? Twenty million acres. You know what one acre look like? So imagine twenty million acres. Now, what happened to that twenty million acres was? Due to white supremacy and the Department of Agriculture, the number plunged by 98%. So 98% of the, the 20 million acres was taken from about 200,000 black farmers. There's a project called the Land Loss Project. It's ran, it was ran out of Cal uh, the, the, um, the uh, Equitable Land Access Service and the Black Land Loss Access. Look that up now you know, in Carolina, de dealing with the reality of the amount of land that was taken from African-Americans in the 20th century. Just, you know, we, we need to put, you know, like Captain America say, you know, information is power. <laughs> You're listening to Morning Black, WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. We stream live on WVLP.org. And you're listening to Morning Black. What do you say about that, Dr. Martin? Oh, yeah, I think that's important. I think that's important. But we have to unpack what does that mean for us today? How does that show up for us today? How do we realize the reality that was set long ago in our reality today? Okay. Comments, other comments? Yeah, I think um, that's kind of a, a big foundation of what uh, a lot of the problems we see today and a lot of the problems we talked about in class. Because, um, like I said, my mind went to ownership when you talked about land. And that's one of the things that I uh, had to research. Um, and, uh, you know, now we think of ownership and, and owning land as homes. And uh, actually only about 17% of black families own homes uh, currently. <clears throat> and I think... Uh, the, the stat you gave was a really important stat about the 20 million acres because um, I think if though if we still I mean if that still was the case you wouldn't see as many uh, 
you wouldn't see such a, a low percentage of home ownership in the black community. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. I need the rest of you all to chime in. You mean if black people had 20 million acres of land and they held on to uh, 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 20 million acres of land, you think there'd be more black colleges? You think there'd be more, more, more black businesses? I think so. You think there'd be more black infrastructure? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah, I was going to say uh, definitely because with the more farmers, um, you're feeling more of their families and the economy itself. And when you get more of those people, you know, being able to have this farm to be able to get that kind of money from the, that, uh, what you're uh, farming, then you get more money into that. And with that more money, you can spend it more into your community and uh, give those people money and be able to supply their families and make them be able to increase their business and make it better. Or as well, put your kids in college and give them better schooling and education. And it would just do a whole lot of systems around just the housing and just them being able to farm. Yeah, you can have a lot of runaround room with 20 million acres, right? I mean, you could chase me a long time on 20 million acres. <laughs> I can run, I can, I can run up and down some hills and around some circles. I have a lot of skateboard activity going on. I can have a lot going on. I could be building different kinds of. I could build. I could build several cities or towns on 20 million acres of land, right? Sorry, if we had 20 million acres, it wouldn't just be Atlanta. We we had more Tulsa and more Rosewood. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, okay. Well, let, let me get you all into this play. I want to get you all into this. How does this? Let, let me use try to use a big word. How does this extrapolate in terms of what you see today in terms of racism and housing in American culture, American society? How's this working toward the kind of policies and legislation you see? involved in home ownership today 2021 almost may any of you y'all want me to call you out well yeah so within that and the legislation stuff it, it goes also to um, a lot of like the banks in our uh, in our nation and that is very much connected to our our government our policies and the banks um have since back then, uh, if anyone didn't know in the 1930s and 40s, uh, the banks gave out, wanted to give out loans to supply uh, different communities and housing within areas. And to do that, what they did is they kind of marked areas that were safe or unsafe for uh, loans to go out to kind of supply that community with money to be able to, for them to grow. And during that time, uh, they what did what was known as redlining, and they took areas and marked them off as unsafe areas. And these areas were more of uh, minorities of blacks, Hispanics, um, and were just deemed unsafe. And due to that, they kind of uh, uh, kind of um, didn't get as much money, or not at all. And so their communities kind of were seen to not have as much uh, buildings, or or uh, they had more pavement because. Um, you know, having premium vegetation that costs a lot more money to be able to, you know, keep that up. So a lot more pavements on the road and uh, a lot more uh, hotter temperatures and uh, less vegetation as said before and industrial waste because that was just easier to do. Um, it was less expensive for the, for the banks to do that. And so what you see that with that um, since the 1930s and 40s, when they get less money is you have people living closer to toxic waste. And when you have people uh, living closer to toxic waste, um, you know, that's a lot more uh, uh, chances of having uh, underlying conditions and being exposed to a lot more things. Um, for example, um, 
you, you can be exposed to more air pollution. Um, if you look at some statistics, whites 11 out of 14 um, are exposed to it. Hispanics 10 out of 14, blacks 13 out of 14 are exposed to this air pollution and that connected directly to asthma, cardiovascular issues, lung disease and cancer. Um, and then also with lead poisoning, uh, which is a big deal, especially if you look in Michigan uh, with what happened with Flint, uh, where whites are exposed to 2.2% of that poisoning, Hispanics 4% and blacks 11.2%. So well, kind of, well, um, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, going back to, these are people being exposed to lead. Um, and you can see that whites 2.3%, Spanish 4%, and black 11.2% are being exposed to this lead poisoning. So you can see that uh, huge increase from whites to blacks. And let, let, um, Let's talk about, since we're talking about land, let's talk about this. You know about Little Village, Little Village in Chicago? They cleaned up their pollution problem, their air pollution problem. The problem that they have now is not, not the environment. When they cleaned up their neighborhood, the, the, the industry came in and bought up the, the land. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so okay, so th there's a byproduct in terms of environmental justice. Even if you are a poor community and you raise the issue about the land and clean the land up, then what industry will do and people with money will do is come in and displace you off the land you just cleaned up. What about that? Yeah, that I think. Okay, go ahead on Mentala. Yeah, so I think that is also related to because if there is racism, you guys, uh, they clean up their land and everything. So it also like uh, they would want to do that to your land because they will, if there is racism, they'll be, uh, there will be cheap labor and they will probably use your land as a resource and they don't care about byproducts or anything. Like for, like for them, black lives don't matter. Like it's not the same as any other people like so for example you take your family you wouldn't want your to like if there's a byproduct or if there's um a problem with the thing you don't want your own family to go through all that but you don't care about other people why because you don't consider humanity like you don't consider all humans as your own family if you do that, that i think problems will be solved I, I need to hear from you. How many of you all live around black homeowners? Raise your hand if you got you know somebody that owns a house near you. Okay, so the little sister sitting by herself. How many homeowners are around you? Black homeowners. What's your name? Tyler. Tyler. How many homeowners around you, Tyler? There are black homeowners homeowners in my neighborhood. They are? How many? Um including my family maybe five in my neighborhood what's your neighborhood's name um i live in gilderland new york gilderland new york yes. so five out of how many tyler um that's just in my neighborhood like the area like just like in the loop i'm in maybe like 300 people in my neighborhood just my neighborhood so. okay so it's 300 people in your neighborhood and there's five homeowners yes that are black I would say I don't see that many black people out in their driveways or walking around, mostly white. Okay, how many? How many? What's the brother's name? Sitting in the front with the striped pants on and the, the summer shoes. What's your name? Yeah, uh, uh, Jeremy. So Jeremy. Yeah. So I probably have like two or three out of like I think there's 30, 40 homes. 30, 40. 
And the brother in the back, what's your name? Marlon. Marlon, how many black homeowners around your house? Uh, it's hard to say. There's a lot of houses around me, and I think, I think a lot of them are rented. So I actually don't really know any. Do you, does your family own your home? No. Okay, so it could be possible that nobody owns a home in your neighborhood, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. What about you, Byron? In in my current neighborhood? In Texas, Texas. Oh, you talk about in Texas. In Mesquite, eh? In Mesquite. I'd probably say about 15%. 15%. But see, that just happened in the last 15 or so years. Because when our family first moved out there, especially to the part of Mesquite we were living in, uh, there was two black families in the whole subdivision. Um, and we knew that they were down the street from us and, uh, we had a plan in case of emergency, run to the other one's house. Oh, okay. Right. So, you know, we knew that, uh, even at that point, there was a, there was a police file on, on our family called the, uh, NIM file. I'll let you figure out what the end of that stands for, but the, uh, the rest is in Mesquite. And okay. so there was a file on the on our family, even as we moved into that area. So, and this wasn't that long ago, right? So this is just my lifetime. Wow, Muntala. Yes. Many, how many people of color around your your house on your on the house around you? Well, I've been in Valparaiso for four years, and I haven't caught, uh, come across any yet. Wow. Well, I've been here thirty years. Don't don't worry. I've been here thirty something years. I I came. To, by that many maybe two maybe oh, two or three that's crazy you know now it, it's it's probably a few more there's there's a couple that live in sherwood forest there's a couple that live in heritage valley um not i'm the only one living in my neighborhood and there might be one or two more Valparaiso probably is reflective of the nation what do you all think about the policy that 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 enforces that kind of reality What kind, what do you all think about the policy that that enforces the kind of reality that produces those numbers of home ownership? Oh, um, let me let me give you you need an example. Like yeah. before before the depression, the homeowners loan association that was created by this country and the F the FHA, the Federal Housing Administration that instituted policies through segregation and restricted covenants to keep neighborhoods white. What do you think about those kinds of policies? Um, yeah, like you talked about redlining a lot, and I know um, some of the policies you brought up are, you know, uh, set, the, set the standard for that. <clears throat> and I think uh, you know, that's just another um, example of one of, I think that's really one of the biggest issues that uh, affect the black community now. Because, like I said, uh, home ownership is a way to pass wealth, and I think that's really the biggest problem um, nowadays: is uh, not having strong communities um, with, you know, self uh, self-serving um, economies or uh, just strong economies 
And I think that that sets uh, the tone for, you know, all the other aspects of life that help improve socioeconomic status. So let me see if I got you correctly, because, you know, I, I'm an old person and I, I, I might not understand, you know, you know, it takes me a while to understand things. Uh, uh, are you saying that land acquisition is connected or the, the, the inability of land acquisition by people of color is part of the main artery of disparity we see between blacks and whites? Yes, exactly. So the, the other things are connected. You're saying identity, health, um, education, uh, 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 legacy transfer is all connected to this ability or inability to be able to acquisition land? Yes. Byron, do is, you agree with that? I think it's a, I think it's a complicated situation because the way to acquisition land in the American context is typically to take it, right? And so it's, it's, it's never, if the government wants your land, right? Uh, they say we need this because we're running a highway. They just typically go in and through a, a list of policies, take it. And so one of the things I think we have to be mindful of is that while I think land ownership is a, important piece and a major uh, a major artery that keeps a high level of disparity um, in uh, the communities in the U.S. I think it may not be the only way to unpack the construct of, of, of racism in America. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. That's a lot yeah, of yeah, break that down. Break that down, brother. Yeah. You know. So, I'm not following you, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm old. <laughs> One of the things that we have to be careful of is that we don't fall into the same trappings of uh, those that came before us in terms of the action of how to acquire land. In the same vein, we know that in a capitalist society, land is the most important resource that there is. There's no resource that is more important than land in the American context, right? And so one of the things that we have to be mindful of is how we go about doing that and how we do that in a way that is not only healthy, but a way that doesn't further project us into other forms of disparity, right? I'll give you this example. Uh, if you're black growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood, there can be some other disparities that you feel because you're in a different land context, right? You have now moved yourself out of spaces where you can still have the cultural health and wealth that you also need as well, those spiritual aspects as well. So I think land can be a catch-22 um, if we are only thinking about land as an opportunity and not uh, as a way to think holistically about our well-being. Okay, I, I was just getting ready to ask that. Tyler, you going to take land? You gonna have to get land to get to be wealthy. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to like have land. How how are you gonna determine your value, your self worth, your personhood, and identity if you don't have real estate? You can have a job that brings in wealth. That brings in value. You don't have to necessarily own land. There's people that live in apartments. That's not owning. But you can't leg. Can you legacy the job? 
Can you pass the job on? <laughs> that is a very good point, I would say. <laughs> yeah, if you own a business, you can pass your business on. Come on, Tyler. Come on. Come on. If, if Explain it business, to me. If you own a business, you can pass your business on and you can create a legacy there. You don't have to own land to create a legacy. Land is. Well, what were you going to say? Well, I would say, like, Owning a business is uh, as hard as owning a land for black people as well. And most of the times you have to own a land to own a business as well. So there is a problem there. Wow. I mean, you have to, I think, I think it's, I think it's not about just not owning land. I think it's more important about where you own land. So is location, location, location. Well, I mean, right. Because location connects to so much, right. It connects to, how we, like I said, this, it, it's not just that the community produces the land, right, or the land produces the community. It's a intricate connection point between all of the above, right? And so the land is speaking and informing the community life and vice versa. The community life is shaping and forming and also deforming or destroying, right, the land, right? Like, so there's, there's a relationship between the two. And so where you own land, how you own land, how you treat the land, how the land treats you is actually a relationship that is often lost. So I don't think it's about whether you have the land, whether you own land, whether you're able to acquisition or not. I think the where is actually more crucial because it determines what communities you're in and what behaviors go along with that. Okay. All right. All right. I, I, I'll, I'll take a bite on that. Then how come some of, some of the intelligent uh, intelligentsia of the African-American community and wealthy of the African community ain't, uh, are not buying land in Gary, Indiana that's going for $2,000 for 30 acres and $5,000 for 10 acres? I mean, it's a whole bunch, it's a whole bunch of land in Gary that, that folks could buy up and develop and use that's not happening. Why aren't people not buying there? Why aren't we revitalizing these so-called depressed areas? East St. Louis, my brother with the, with the flaps on, was talking about environmental health. You want to look at an environmental poor community, look at East St. Louis, Illinois. That is a dumping ground for chemicals. It's been a dumping ground. Our Gale Gardens in, in Chicago, Illinois, that's a dumping ground for chemicals. Why aren't we buying up that? And the land, because of that, the land is cheap. So how come we're not buying up, buying up that land and changing that identity? I think uh, a lot of that is kind of the effects of um, what we were talking about earlier. There's a history of um, even when people do try to buy and revitalize land, sometimes that gets knocked down or taken away. Um, and, I, but I, and I just think that that's kind of a lot of work. And, uh, a lot of work? I thought you I thought you was a capitalist. By the way, huh? I thought you was a capitalist. Capitalists ought to love work. No, I think we should, but I, I'm just saying that might speak to one of the reasons of why. You know what I'm saying? Ah, oh, all right, all right. Well, here's my theory. My theory is is that you don't want you don't want land in places that have already been uh, deemed valueless. 
that what you're doing is you're looking for if you say if location 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 is real and so you're not you're not looking to clean up the land you're not looking to provide adequate housing for individuals at, on the land you're looking for a place where you can flip that house and make that money right yes. <laughs> so so what's the difference between that and stealing the land in the first place stealing is much easier <laughs> true that i agree with that <laughs> i agree with that i agree with that y'all y'all got silent on me i'm i'm hearing i'm hearing pin drops now okay so but i think it's it's also a conversation about what does it mean to uh redevelop and to rebuild relationship with land and with in terms of not only housing where you live but also in terms of the environment and the environmental constructions of everything that's an interesting that's an interesting conversation right like how do you go about uh basically uh re uh affirming or or, or taking care of or recreating in some in some ways the community and recreating the relationship between the community and the place where the community resides. That's a that's a hard conversation. And I know if you're talking in terms of not just Gary, but any uh, place that's quote unquote urban, right? I think one of the things that we have to be mindful of is most folks are incredibly daunted to try and do that individually or they don't have enough capital means to do that individually. And so uh, part of recreating the community means at some point you need to bring a community with you into that space, right? That's why when we talk about housing, we don't talk about housing in terms of one house. If it was just one house that had the issue, we would go fix that one house. We talk about it in terms of the community, the neighborhood, right? And how neighborhoods are displaced, right? We're not just—we're not just looking individually. We're looking systemically, and part of that system is the fact that these homes uh, and and these places, these land masses, these 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 communities have been displaced from some form of access and some form of help. And to replace that means that we also have to bring in community, right? You can't just—you can't just think you could do it on your own. That's uh, that'd be. That'd be crazy unless you got a big enough bill for them, big enough wallet. Now, well, I mean, I mean, one of the problems is 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 this this the, these bad ideas about capitalism and in, in terms of being a capitalistic country. I mean, I I don't think that you can you can hold on to capitalism if in fact what what you're doing is expanding disparity. In other words, we got a whole bunch of people who want to be rich and who want to live a good life. But they're not taking any kind of consideration and looking at what that means for those individuals who won't be able to achieve that that same light. And so, you know, a really smart and wise capitalistic person says, well, I want to make money in this, knows that they got to bring, you know, the masses of people along with them. You know, I just heard a, a billionaire talk about that and says one of the problems we have is that we want we want to be a billionaire by ourselves. And that's not going to work because you're going to have to have society to support that you know that that range of lifestyle that's one issue the other issue is is just the sheer callousness the, the sheer fact that you just don't give a damn about whether or not you know poor people are poor 
and living in in not so nice housing as long as it's not you and the people that's that's close to you you know so that's going to be that's a problematic when we talk about a society byron that's built on theft okay that that that's the problematic the problematic is is folks have been socialized to see the disparity as norm right and so how do you how do you desocialize people so that they don't see uh, the hilltop area as some type less than valuable than Sherwood Forest here in Valparaiso, right? Or that we don't we don't divide these communities uh, with artificial barriers of 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 so-called wealth, because in in the in the real time, <laughs> what we're doing is we try all of us are trying to n negotiate something that was stolen in the first place based on the historical record so you know now if you want to change that my question is to the young folks how do you change that that's tough to change because there's a lot of uh cultural and societal and social structures that like would have to change in order for us to change that in the first place so you just gonna be a thief? No. So what you gonna do? I think a lot of it goes back to how you were saying how like people, some people just don't care. So like if you find a group of people that actually care about changing it and are willing to invest in it and like have a community to bring into that community, then you can promote change amongst that community and to develop it. Can can we talk about we're educating each other and not have that element in it? Can I can I truly claim that I'm giving you information in order to function in American culture, American society, and not have the element of us working together to to invoke change about that particular problem as a part of the learning process? If we're not getting that, then somebody's stealing out of our fifty thousand K, isn't it? You understand what I'm asking you? I'm I, I'm I'm saying you paying fifty thousand dollars a year for four years for somebody to teach you how to be a thief. Yeah. Um. Now you got to deal with that, right? Because that's your fifty k. That's not. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say fifty thousand dollars? Yeah. yeah. Right. So hey, teach me teach me how to develop my legacy in a way that's going to be as healthy as it needs to be for everyone or you're not teaching me you're just teaching me to be what everybody else historically has been should you not call your educators on that yeah i think sometimes you don't really see it though like because these ideas are, are aren't necessarily the popular ideas or things we're taught so you have to Find that out yourself and fight against it yourself. Wow. Okay. To, yeah, it's, it's just tough to do that. But I, I agree, though. No, I, 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 along with you, like a lot of the times um, in America, like you're not gonna really see that systematic racism or what is, uh, or what is being foretold, um, either in the housing or whether you're getting a loan or what's just going on with your community. Sometimes you're not going to find it unless you yourself are 
willingly to go look for it. And upon you wanting that motivation to go look for it and finding that actual truth, the core of the actual problem or something that you may think that could be related to the systematic racism, um, you won't find it unless you go look for it. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm I'm always astounded at how, you know, folks, you know, claim that claim that, but at the same time they can live right next door to impoverished, you know, people who don't have what they need to have and somehow that's okay and they don't have a conscious pool. You know, <laughs> I, you know, it, it it just amazes me. You know, it's astounding that you don't have a conscious pool. But then if you listen to the Native American community, they say, well, if you have no spiritual connection to the land, you can't pick up on that. That's what they that's what they're talking about in terms of the land being a part of who you are. You know, uh, then you would you would hear the cries of the people who don't who are in despair or in disparity. But you can't hear it if you don't have a connection to it. That's that's one one way of rationalizing, you know. But I'm looking for change. So my question is, is how you all gonna do it differently? Muntaha, what do you say? What do you say? Yeah, I feel like even uh, there are policies that help uh, black people uh, with, um, so they don't face uh, discrimination while um, uh, they're trying to purchase land and stuff. But I don't really think that is going to help solve the problem. It's as uh, a professor gave us an example that if he gives each of us two dollars and he gives only he gives me only one dollar at the start. So it's like he stole one dollar from me and he gave me one dollar. We are all not at the same start. We're not going to be at the same point, even if time passes. Even if like after maybe four or five years after inflation, everything, he gives me back that dollar and he says that, oh, that might be justified because I gave you back your dollar. But that's one dollar. There has been inflation. Everyone is way ahead of us. That's not going to solve the problem. I think that the land that was stolen should be returned to the people who owned it. It's like all the policies that are helping people acquire the land are I think they're pointless. They're just them creating problems and then offering solutions to those problems that you already created. Wow. Well, you know, there's some 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 lofty people who agree with you. Um, there is a there is a a, a bill that has been passed by uh, Cory Booker. And Elizabeth Warren, some other people in Congress talking about uh, Justice for Black Farmers Act. So it's interesting that you said that because their bill basically is saying you need to give back that land that you took from those farmers. Of course. I think that is the only solution. So so there's actually some, some real people in America who are concerned not about getting rich, and passing wealth legacy, they're saying, no, just give us back what you took. And we'll take it from there. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I do think it takes a, a, a big effort because I've thought about this a lot. Like, is what you said about revitalizing Gary. You know, I've had dreams about doing something like that. But like I said, it's just a lot of work. So I think 
And I think, you know, trying to reverse that problem of, you know, ownership and trying to revitalize communities. If, if, if five people, man, if five people had five grand a piece, right, they could b probably buy close to 100,000 acres. Right. Land, is going, land is going cheap in Gary. You can buy, you can buy a 2.5-acre home that's still got a building on it for about five grand. You hear what I'm talking about? I mean, so so in, in other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to, you know, to start a development corporation to do some of what you're talking about doing. You know, you don't have to wait to you can say, well, I'm going to wait till I make my first million and I'm going to make a change. You know, some everyday people could do it if they were, as as your 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 professor said, if we were organized to think like that, you know. Because, you know, some of us spend five grand on pizza. You know, <laughs> you know, we we give Papa John five grand. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, Doctor Martin, what do you think about all this? No, I think it's. I think this is why we have these conversations. This is one of the most important conversations I think that we can have. Is about uh, the thing that affects us the most, right? Where you exist day in and day out is going to shape you, and you're going to shape it. And I think that's where we have to do some serious work and some serious questioning. I think you asked and posed a very great question to front end that we have to grapple with. How do we even begin to understand and see ourselves in this context? And are we grounding ourselves appropriately? Or can we have a really tough conversation and say, are we playing and moving and buying stolen property? And if so, how do we begin to unpack that, justify that, and how do we begin to do things appropriately to make sure that we're not existing in those contexts? That goes back to the location, right? That goes back to the where. How are we participating in this? And when we do buy, let's say we do buy, is the goal to return it or to produce some type of repair or uh, some folks might call it justice or some folks might call it reparation in that space, in that land, in that community. Is the goal to repair and to build back up or is it to conquer and dominate, right? I think it's easy when we've been educated in this uh, mindset of supremacy to say, you know, the, the job is to lord over the land and to uh, be the king and queens of our domain versus actually to have a deep conversation and saying, how do we give this back in a way that builds the community and is always in the process of trying to repair what has been done? Wow. Well, I don't know how much time we got left. How much time do we have left, Byron? Right there in time. So go on close out. All right. Well, I appreciate all of you all's comments. I hope you keep working on what you need to work on. Maybe one day we'll have a, a LRA, a Land Reclamation Academy. And, you know, you all can be the presidents and board of directors of that. And our, our, our plan will be to capture 50,000 acres within the first five years of the academy. Right? Right? There you go. And, and redistribute it in a healthy way. Good talking to you all. Hope you learned something from it. And uh, we'll see you soon. Morning, Black.